he's telling me like about Cassius, how big of a personality is. I never heard of him, and he pulled out his phone and he played this video. And then it, Cassius is congratulating uh, Martin's buddy Brandon on becoming a father. And like he's wearing no shirt, he's tatted up, like he's driving, and it's just such a cool thing. And immediately I'm like, wow, that would be really cool. So Martin's like, yeah, look at what a good big personality is. So I'm like, Martin, forget the endorsement deals. Like we should try to like figure out how to sell that. And that was really the beginning of the idea that would become Cameo. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Steve Galanis is the co-founder and CEO of Cameo, the leading marketplace building personal relationships among talent, fans, and brands through custom video messages, live video calls, and direct messages. Launched by Galanis, Martin Blenkow, and Devin Townsend in 2016, the Cameo platform has connected fans with tens of thousands of their favorite athletes, entertainers, and other influencers, facilitated more than 2.5 million Cameo videos, and raised more than 1.5 million for a wide range of charities through its Cameo Cares program. On a mission to enable the most personalized and authentic fan connections on earth, Cameo has earned some of the business world's highest accolades, including recognition as one of Time Magazine's 50 most genius companies of 2018 and Fast Company's world's 50 most innovative companies of 2020, the number one spot in Fast Company's world's most innovative social media companies of 2020, and ranking on the information's TI50 list of the most promising startups of 2020. Galanis himself has been recognized as one of Hollywood's top innovators by The Hollywood Reporter, a 40 under 40 honoree by Crane Chicago Business, and Innovator of the Year by Chicago Inno. I began by asking Stephen if he knew he was going to be an entrepreneur while growing up. I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. My probably the person I was closest to growing up was my grandfather. And, you know, he owned a, a small business, a photography studio in Chicago where I grew up. And around the dinner table, it was always like, did we get this wedding? Did we get this deal? And, you know, on the side, he was extremely, you would never see him without the Wall Street Journal in his hand. And, um, you know, I grew up in a house where, Business was the talk at dinner and CNBC was on the TV, right? And that was just kind of like, I was always around that. But for me, I wasn't the kid that had the, the you know, hustling like baseball cards or, you know, mowing lawns or, you know, creating like lemonade stands. But when I got to college, that's when I really had my first big entrepreneurial experience. I think I was a natural entrepreneur. Everybody would have assumed I would have something, but it was really college for me at Duke when I really kind of found my entrepreneurial wings and, and let them fly. And what happened? So that was an interesting time. I graduated high school in 2006. So I was the first year where like my entire college career would have been on, on Facebook, right? Because Facebook came out like yeah. 2003, 2004. 
So when I was a senior in, in high school, everybody was like racing to get into a college, like early decision, just so you could put the deposit down and get the .edu address to join Facebook. So how that manifested, I was literally able to, at this point, Facebook's a closed network you couldn't be on. Me and, and like this guy, Zach Baritas, who's the CEO of a company called Teamworks in North Carolina, amazing entrepreneur and one of my best friends. Uh, Zach was kind of like my big brother. So he was a senior captain of the football team at Duke. I was a freshman, a hockey player. We're from the same town. We're both Greek. We're, our families are both from Sparta within Greece. <laughs> we created this business called Spartan Entertainment. And we started to basically run the nightlife at Duke University. There was a bar called Shooters that was a very popular bar like on the weekends. And we went to them and basically said, hey, athletes have a 48-hour rule where they can't drink before their Friday night or Saturday night competition. What if you gave us a great special? We could use our networks to bring all the athletes to Shooters and we'll have a beer pong tournament every Wednesday. So Wednesday night beer pong at Shooters was born through Spartan Entertainment. That became really popular. In fact, 12 years later, if you were to go to Durham tonight, if you were to go be in Durham last night, like I'll be there tomorrow, literally like this is the biggest like weekday party. And it started, that became big. The bar then said, hey, we like what you're doing because Duke was a very fraternity-dominated business. And Zach and I created our own brand, this Facebook group called Spartan Entertainment. So it was unaffiliated parties because in the old Duke, like the Sigma, Sigma News were throwing a party, the Delta Sigs wouldn't go. The Delta Six threw a party, the ATOs wouldn't go. But when Zach and I were throwing a party with Spartan, everybody would show up. So the bars actually were busier and made more money, and we made the cover. So that was the beginning of what would then become a group that would eventually have 10,000 college students in it. We started everything from a DJ rental business to other bars started coming to us to create weekly parties. By the event, by the end, we were throwing like 17 events a week. We had a college boxes moving business. We had a t-shirt press. We were in a hot dog stand at one point. So that was like really what got the bug started. And, you know, I graduated college in 2010, which was like right in the heart of the recession. And, and at that time, like even my graduating class from Duke, I think two of my 20 best friends had jobs. So my original plan was to just like stay there, keep running it. Like I was making great money, like great, great money. In fact, probably more money than I've ever made in my life, like including today, not counting <laughs> equity. And it was fun. You know, like I was, I'm bringing people together. I'm connecting them. And yeah, you know, since I was in kindergarten, my nickname has been the mayor. And, and I've just always been that person that like connects and brings it forward. And, and I think if you were to talk to anyone that went to Duke in those, you know, seven year span that I was there from the people that were freshmen when I was a senior to the people that were a senior when I was a freshman, if they came across me, like, I don't think many of them would be surprised that this was the business I started and the rest was kind of history. And I'm sure you had sold them something at, at one point while you oh, were yeah. there. I mean, they were everybody, you know, $5 every, every you know, multiple times a week. It is amazing. I mean, you, you, you kind of had this like conglomerate while you're in college and it sounds like to me though, that was really where you develop this passion or, or did you at that time, this knowledge that I needed to be in business for myself? Uh, totally. And then, you know, funny enough, you, you think about like, I have this business for four years, you know, I'm making more money than I would in the real world. Right. And then 
Uh, it was such a culture shock. I remember, you know, my parents basically were like, you can't go back to Durham and like stay in college, throwing college parties. Like, you know, it's time to like get out with your life. So they kind of, they introduced me to a friend in Chicago. His name was Jeff Wolfson and Jeff owned a trading firm in Chicago. And he gave me an internship that summer on the Chicago board of trade. And like, right away I was hooked. Like I saw, you know, this is like open outcry options trading. Now futures had already moved fully to the screen, but the, the pits were still like alive at that point for open outcry trading. And it was such a exciting, like high intensity world. And, and, you know, I was hooked right away, but that said, like going from someone making, you know, six figures a year, you know, throwing like college events to all of a sudden making $400 a week, <laughs> getting people coffee and like lunch and, you know, checking trading cards. It was like, it was a big change. And I really do believe that, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, like your limit of being a good employee is only like so much. And ultimately, you know, you're never going to be able to be the best at what you want to be unless you're like building your own dream. And, you know, and I, I do think like as an entrepreneur in waiting, right. I was always really frustrated by decisions that I saw like senior leaders making or, or bad personnel moves. And I just, always felt like, look, I would, I'm fine losing or winning, but I want to win or lose with the ball in my hands, right? I don't want to be my bonus tied up to somebody else's like bad, good or bad decisions. And that's why like, like I could never go work for somebody else again. I'll tell you that. Yeah, no, I, I, I personally very similar have to agree with you. I don't think I ever could do that. And you said it, it's almost like you can only, you, you hit your ceiling because you know, it's so hard to make any changes or things that you see that you would change aren't being changed. And it's just so frustrating. And you have that thought within you, or at least I did that. I want to go start my own business, do this my way. I know I could figure this out, but it's a, it's a scary thing, especially for a lot of people. What was the first business then that you did start? Was it Cameo? Cameo was the first tech business I started, but I, I go back to this first venture that I had in college, Spartan Entertainment. And then off of that, as I got to Chicago and I started to be in the Board of Trade, I had a pretty cool experience. My uncle in LA is a pretty well-known film producer, and he had a movie coming out my second year in the pit called Lone Survivor. And I was telling all the guys in the pit about it. I'm still the junior guy, like literally getting people lunch, like working the overnight, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., a third of the time and like doing whatever the firm needed. And I told all the guys like, Hey, this movie is coming out. My uncle produced it. And I threw like a mini premiere and I rented a theater out and I invited all the guys from the pit to come do it. Uh, so they came to the movie, they loved it. And then at the end, everyone was like, why are you here? Why are you like clerking in the Chicago board of trade? Like, aren't you like in LA producing movies with your uncle? And the truth is my uncle like always considered himself a trader even to this day and was like the movie business is a bad business you don't want to get into it but you know i was pleading and calling with them and eventually he made a deal with me and he said i have a project coming up we're going to create this new show with the creator of baywatch it's kind of like what would baywatch look like in 2013 if it got remade with drones and gopros and you know i, I thought it was a cool idea a bunch of the people in the pit thought it was a cool idea and he said if you can raise x amount of money I'll make you a producer on, on the move on this television show. So I was working overnight at the time. And by the next morning I had was two X oversubscribed. And uh, I think I ended up getting ex, uh, executive producer credit on it because, you know, my, I, I beat my quota and that was kind of the beginning for me. Like that, you know, that venture led me to meet uh, Martin, my co-founder after I met Martin on that project, 
we started doing like a, a little side business together. And I ended up going to work at LinkedIn as my full-time day job for a couple of years. But like once I like was really putting deals together and and you know, finding cool projects and raising money, like I like I was hooked and I knew that that's what I wanted to get into. So for me, it was all about like waiting for the right idea. Right. And I know there's a lot of people that that say, hey, if you're an entrepreneur, you should just start a business and like if it's a big market, just go after it. I actually disagree. I think that unless something's like truly your ikigai, and I love the Japanese framework of what do you love to do? What are you great at? What does the world need? And what can you ultimately make money doing or get paid for? I really think you have to be in that intersection of the four circles of that Venn diagram to truly like be the best in the world at anything. And if you're, if something's off, if the world needs it, you don't like, you get paid a lot, uh, you're great at it, but you don't love it. You're just a mercenary, right? If you can't get paid for it, but the world needs it, you love it and you're great at it, then you're a missionary, right? And, and ultimately like to really be the entrepreneur, to be the best in the world at something that, you know, you're going to put your name on the shingle and you're going to go put all your waking hours. It has to be something you love to do. And it took me a while to have that idea. I was 29 years old. And in retrospect, I'm like, totally, I wish I had started, you know, when I was 23, like, I wish this was my second or third company by now, but yeah, that's not how it happened for me. And I'm 34 today. And, you know, hopefully I can keep running this one for a long, long time because I love what I do. Yeah. You're still a young guy. I'll tell you that, especially when I hear that when you graduated college, it makes me feel old, but we won't go there. I do agree with you though. It's so interesting, like to wake up every day, to pick yourself off the mat when there's issues. For me, it was always the same. I always wanted to do something I love sports and entertainment now, podcasting, audio. I really love it and enjoy it. And that's what does it for me. And I think also when you have a mission, if there's a mission, we've interviewed some folks who, you know, whether it's plant-based food or, I mean, even that just makes it so much more powerful. And like you said, it's just to get up and to do something every day, you want to love it. And it sounds like you came up with an idea and I'd love to learn how it came about that was something that you had a real interest in and was fun. And how did Cameo come about? So a little background. I mentioned I'm I'm an athlete and and I I love sports, but like I always love sports collectibles. And I was never the person that would go and like get an autograph from someone. But like every Christmas, every birthday, it was signed poster from like the 1980 Olympic hockey team or like Michael Jordan, like cool merch or like Dennis Rodman shoes. Like I've just always like loved that type of stuff. So if you go to my condo in Chicago, like you're going to see like some of the coolest sports memorabilia ever. So that's just something that I always kind of like grew up with and thought. And out of all the pieces I ever had, the single piece that was like the one that was like my treasured thing, even though I'm a Bulls fan and I'm a Michael Jordan guy. When I was eight months old, the Lakers had just won the 1988 championship. And my parents and my grandparents and I were vacationing at the, uh, like at the Waikiki, like four seasons or something like that. And my grandparents are walking on the beach and who they see on a beach chair, but magic Johnson <laughs> so fresh off the game seven win. And my grandfather, I mentioned is a professional photographer. My grandmother walked over said, Hey, Mr. Johnson, can you take a picture with my grandson? He's like, Hey lady, you know, no pictures, no, whatever. She dropped me on his lap. He caught me. My grandfather took the shot. 
And like, we have the eight by 12, like this picture of Magic Johnson holding me as a baby. And it's just such like the classic, classic, classic iconic shot. So everybody would walk into our house in Glenview, Illinois, and like everybody knew this picture, right? It was like, it was on the piano forever. And, and the funny thing was my dad came back later that trip. Cause this is the day of like 24 hour photo was like <laughs> right. accelerated and tried to get magic to sign it. And he was like, no way, like you crazy people, like leave me alone. So funny story, our good friends in Chicago own a really popular bar near Wrigley field and magic was coming in for an autograph signing 25 years later. And they knew about the picture. They're like, Hey, you got to bring the picture. We got to get magic to sign it. So I came up and, you know, it's like one of those things where people had to pay like 500 bucks to like get a picture with them or anything. But I just came in and his security is like, Oh no, you can't be here. You can't be here. But I showed them the picture and like told them the story. They started dying. Next thing I know, they pull magic over. I'm showing him this, I'm showing him this picture. And all of a sudden he's just like, this is awesome. Like he didn't remember the exact thing, but like, you know, he remembered being in Hawaii at that time. And like, he signed it and we have all these pictures laughing. So long story short, that had been something I'd been thinking about for a long time. Like this idea that the selfie was the new autograph. And at my grandmother's funeral, the same woman who dropped me into Magic Johnson's lap, my co-founder Martin flew in for the day from Los Angeles. And the two of us were, I drove him, I hadn't seen him in a while because I'd gone to LinkedIn and gotten busy and he'd become an NFL agent and gotten busy. So I was catching up, you know, we pick him up. Uh, driving out from the funeral. Like we went downtown to Chicago for one drink and then I had to drive back to the airport. And as we were driving, he was telling me about a problem he was having as an agent who had one client, Cassius Marsh, a backup defensive end on the Seattle Seahawks. And he really felt that Cassius had a big personality and could like get a marketing endorsement deal. But the problem was nobody wanted to give him a deal because he's not a starter. So he's telling me like about Cassius, how big of a personality is. I'd never heard of him. And he pulled out his phone and he played this video. And then it, Cassius is congratulating uh, Martin's buddy, Brandon, on becoming a father. And like, he's wearing no shirt. He's tatted up, like he's driving. And it's just such a cool thing. And immediately I'm like, wow, that would be really cool. So Martin's like, yeah, look at what a good big personality is. So I'm like, Martin, forget the endorsement deals. Like we should try to like figure out how to sell that. And that was really the beginning of the idea that would become Cameo. And tell us just for listeners, I know a lot of people know the business, of course, and, and I do pretty well, but give me an idea in our audience exactly what Cameo is and, and, and what Cameo does. The Cameo is a marketplace where you can connect with over 50,000 of your favorite athletes, actors, celebrities. We started and we're most famous for creating a marketplace for personalized video shout outs. So getting Magic Johnson to create a video, wishing you or your wife or your son, happy birthday, right? Like that's what we got famous for. But today we're really trying to become talent CTO. And we think that there's a broad spectrum of different goods, physical and digital and experiences that we want to help talent leverage to communicate with their fans. So today we own a merch company. So we make Arnold Schwarzenegger's merch, for example. We own, we have a product called Cameo Calls where you can FaceTime with talent. We have a product called Cameo Live where talent can do virtual events. We have a C4B business where now businesses can come book cameos to create bespoke content for their Instagram, TikTok, or Snap ads, right? So we're a diversified business that 
really sits at the center of, of talent and fan connection. More from our guests, but first, a word from our sponsors. To all you entrepreneurs out there, in the podcast, we always talk about taking that leap into pursuing an idea. Just because you're taking your business somewhere no one's ever gone before, doesn't mean you have to go at it alone. Get truly personalized business checking with Novo. Novo is a powerfully simple business checking. And unlike the traditional banking model, Novo has no minimum balances, no transaction limits, and no hidden fees. Instead of a one-size-fits-all approach, Novo is customized to your business to save you time and free up cash flow with seamless integrations to Stripe, Shopify, QuickBooks, online, and more. Sign up for Novo for free and join the community of over 150,000 fearless small businesses who found the customizable business checking solution that admires their brave. Sign up for your free business checking account right now at novo.co slash HSH. Plus, How Success Happens listeners get access to over $5,000 in perks and discounts. Go to novo.co slash HSH to sign up for free. Novo.co slash HSH. Novo Platforming is a fintech, not a bank. Banking services provided by Middlesex Federal Savings, F.A. member FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back. For you personally, from those early days and coming up with this concept, what's it been like for you just in terms of, of the business and seeing the growth? The one funny thing, I never, I always tell people in interviews, the only question you're not allowed to ask me is where will Cameo be in five years? Because <laughs> literally five years ago, like we hadn't sold a video yet, right? So you think about like just all the growth that's happened. We have, I think, 337 employees today spread in 38 states and 14 countries. And we've done millions of videos, right? Like it's when you zoom out, it's pretty crazy. And, and at the same time, like as an entrepreneur, like, and you know, this, like you always feel like you can go faster. Right. So like I look at when you zoom out, it's always exciting to see the things that have happened, things you never thought. Like in 2018, we were named one of times 50 genius companies on earth with like Spotify and Nike and Disney and we had like seven employees and we were working out of an incubator in Chicago, right? So like, there's just been like things like that happen. Or I told that Magic Johnson story 34 years ago, I was going to drop it on his lap. Today, he's on my board, right? <laughs> so amazing. like, you hear about, you know, all that. And, and one thing I think is pretty cool is when you have a breakout company and consumer internet, I think your world just opens up in a way that's so, you know, hard to explain because... I've gotten to meet all the next great entrepreneurs that like are in the early days of their thing. And in the same way that people were helpful to me as I was getting started, I can go be an angel investor. I can go be that uh, person to call late at night when something that I went through, they're not going through and these are solved problems. Like, you know, that play it forward culture. So life has changed a lot in some ways, but I think if you were to talk to most of my family or friends, like I'm, I'm exactly the same person. It's just the things around me have changed a lot. You know, you mentor or you mentioned mentoring and and helping others and while you're still building this business. To me it kind of sounded like you really enjoy that part of it. I love it. You know, just yesterday I was uh for the fifth year in a row, 
spoke at my old high school at Glenbrook South in Glenview, Illinois, at their entrepreneurship class. The first year I did this, like we hadn't even sold a video yet, right? And then today, like every kid, you know, has used Cameo multiple times. So like, that's always so gratifying to me. And I love working with young entrepreneurs. I love giving people that nudge, like, hey, I have an idea. I want to, I'm thinking about quitting my business. Like I want to raise some money, like giving them that kick in the butt. It's like, don't raise a dollar until you quit your job. You got to burn the boat because if I'm an investor, I don't want somebody working part-time on it. Like you're going to, you, there's no way you will win if you're not full-time at this business. Right. I agree with you so much on that because I'm glad you brought that up. There's so much talk about side hustles and this, and there's people who've been successful in that capacity. But for me, with all of the businesses I've started and run and built, it was, it never could be a side hustle. It was 24 seven. And I just, I mean, kudos. I have, to a, I have a, I have a funny story about that. Right. So at the very beginning of cameo, you know, me and Martin, you know, I was, Martin was an NFL agent. I was at LinkedIn. I had a great job at LinkedIn. And then Devin, our other co-founder was like the only engineer at some small startup in, in Los Angeles. And we like started Cameo as a side hustle. And then I'll never forget, it was January 1st of 2017. I'm in Nicaragua with a bunch of the guys I worked at LinkedIn with. Because they would always give us the Christmas Eve to the first week of the year off. So sitting in a hot tub. And a lot of those people work for us now at Cameo. But like this was a week of like everybody sitting there and dreaming of what this could be. And one guy wants to lead sales and one guy wants to lead marketing. And we're going to build this billion dollar business. Like while we're, you know, working at LinkedIn on nights and weekends. And, and my buddy, Will Hearn goes, Steven, this idea is too good. If somebody else builds this business and becomes a billionaire, could you live with yourself? And I like, honestly, the answer was no, I'd never, I never even considered like the fact that I could sit at LinkedIn and watch somebody build this. And that wasn't, that didn't mean it was going to work. Right. But it just meant like I had to like go and take the shot and I sent my next play letters. We call it at LinkedIn out to my team. Two days later, I told, you know, I wrote this letter and the Mike Gamson, who is the global head of sales at LinkedIn at the time, read that letter and was like, Hey, this is cool. If I could ever, you know, be helpful, let me know. And three months later, he was our first major angel investor and like totally changed my life, the trajectory of like all the people that work for us doesn't happen without him. But, you know, it all kind of started because it's like we were willing to go and pursue our dream and we couldn't, we couldn't think of not doing it. I love that. Especially when you knew like you couldn't stay there and you did it. You jumped off the diving board. I mean, what do you say to all those other entrepreneurs? Because I know you do a lot of mentoring and, and speaking. There's so many that sit there because that job you had, so many people would be like, this is an incredible job. LinkedIn, I'm sure. My parents, my parents. <laughs> exactly. I had a heart attack when I told them you know, what I was going to do, right? But you know, a lot of my friends thought I was crazy. But at the end of the day, like when you know, you know. And I always tell people, like, if you don't have conviction to leave your job and go bet on yourself, then like, how is anybody going to have conviction to invest in you? Or how's anybody going to have conviction to quit their job to come and work for you? Like, it's never going to happen, right? You can do it for a little while. And like, you know, in retrospect, maybe it would have been good if, if I left LinkedIn after Cameo had some traction, like 
We hadn't sold a video yet. It was three months, in fact, until we'd sell a video. And we had a terrible launch. And we, in April and May of like that year, like it didn't look like this looked like it was an awful decision to anybody on the outside looking in in the early days. And I think there's so much survivorship bias that it's people can always look at, oh, yeah, of course. Of course, we knew you were going to be successful. Like, well, I'll tell you what, a lot of people I talked to didn't think that this would work. I had, you know, I remember Techstars Chicago at the time said, like, this business cannot be built in Chicago. You have to move to go to LA or you have to go to uh, LA or New York. Like there's no way you can build this here, right? Like there's so many people that like had that type of feedback or this business has been done. Like 10 people tried it. It's never worked. It's never going to work, right? But, you know, I was like, you know what? I have a different idea on it and I understand and appreciate what happened before, but I think this is the right moment to put it all together. And and I was willing to just go and, and my co-founders were willing to just go and, and do it. Where do you think that comes from for you personally to be able to do that? Because so many people, they'll hear a negative, they'll, someone will tell them this can't be done. There's, there's, there's so many people who then just don't do it, don't go for it. Where does that resolve come from you or that ability to just say, screw it, I'm, I'm going for this? I think it's literally a personality type, right? I think we used to at Cameo have everybody take one of those 16 personality tests and 3% of people get the entrepreneur personality type. And the reality is for those people, like we talked about some of that early, like they're just put on the planet to do this. And I think I actually believe that entrepreneurship is is absolutely born, not made. I think you can get more entrepreneurial by hanging with entrepreneurial people, but ultimately like that lack of fear that you need to go and like put it all on the line and, and be willing to baseball. If you get up to bat, the worst thing that can happen is just strike out. And the best thing that can happen is a grand slam. But entrepreneurship is kind of like being able to hit a grand slam that can be worth infinity. And the same thing, like you, you know, you can strike out and that's, foregoing a job or foregoing a relationship or foregoing time or foregoing salary or, or all those things. And in many cases, I, like, you know, for me, many of those, all those things that at once I had to forego. Right. And it means sleeping on floors. It means, you know, it means, uh, you know, it means, it means hustling. It means it's like trying to find a day where there's an unlimited amount of work to do. Right. Like when we started Cameo and, and we had the cold start problem, we had no talent on the platform and no customers and you're showing up to work every single day being like, what am I going to do to move the ball forward? And months go by and there's no progress or traction, right? Like you have to just have conviction and believe in what you're doing. And most people just don't have that. Yeah. Was there ever a time early on in those days that was so difficult you thought about maybe, hey, I should go back to LinkedIn or, or find a corporate job? No, uh, actually, it never, it never was. And not because it wasn't difficult. In fact, our launch story is like probably the classic example of where a lot of startups would come to die. So I'll never forget it was March 26, 2017. And we had one talent on Cameo, Cassius Marsh, and Devin, Martin, and Cassius are getting ready to launch the site. And they're in Devin's apartment in Venice, California. And the site at the time was like literally just a Google form. It was like, send a tweet out and put your name in, wait the messages and put your email and like pay for it. And then we'll send you a video. And I was in Scottsdale, Arizona, trying to onboard Jason Kipnis, a guy that I grew up with, who was going to be the second talent on Cameo. So it's launch night. I'm at dinner with Jason. 
And at the same time, I have my like Google Analytics popped out and there's two dots, one in Scottsdale, one in Venice. Cassius sends the tweet out. We expect like, you know, his 70,000 followers, people are going to be beating down the door for this. And it was crickets. Nobody showed up on the site. In fact, first at one point, we weren't sure if Google wasn't working. So <laughs> I'm messaging the guys. They're like, hey, can you sign off? We'll see if your dot disappears. I signed off. The Scottsdale dot disappeared. I came back on. I came back. So it's like, no, Google's working. Like nobody wants this. And then in the meantime, like people start sending mean things to Cassius. You know, you're a sellout. You're a millionaire. How can you charge people for this? You're terrible. He got pissed. He like stormed out. Martin is freaking out because his only client is walking out the door and like was the first investor. So now he's like, oh shit, like I might've just lost my thing. And, and he was pissed off and basically he quit. And, and Devin and I are just texting back and forth while I'm at this dinner, trying to like convince the second person to come on. Like, wow, like this is what a disaster. Like this could have gone worse. And then eventually this guy popped up on the site and he didn't buy and we were so disappointed. And he ends up DMing me on Twitter. And he's like, hey, Cassius Marsh is my daughter's favorite athlete in the world. Like, it's her birthday coming up. I'd love to get a video, but your payment processor is not working. So I'm like, tell me what you want to say. What's her name? And her name was Reese to get the video done. And then in retrospect, like the thing that like changed everything for us, this dad out of nowhere sent a reaction video. He recorded his daughter watching the video and she started crying. And I the hairs on my neck and, and, and arms just like go up, just thinking about it. And literally this dad sent us this video, which we didn't ask for. And he was just like, thank you. Look how happy my daughter is. And then suddenly we were armed with this reaction video. And when no one was making money on cameo, our pitch wasn't like, you do this to make money. It was like, do this to make your fans happy. Yeah, totally. It's a lot of times. And I know with athletes in certain ways, it's about that experience, right? And just coming from that side of the business, from talent and experiences, it was always more, less about cost and what it was, but to sell, you're selling an experience, right? You're selling that, something you can't replicate or duplicate. Like for that guy and myself having daughters and to be able to do that for them and to see that reaction, there's no price that, you wouldn't pay. And I imagine for you at that time, it probably hits you as well. Like, wow, this is a lot bigger than just doing transactions for, you know, oh, the whatever. second I saw that, I just knew we got and, and I will, you know, to be honest, the second Martin showed me that first video, like at my grandmother's funeral, I knew that this would be something. I knew this would be as big as it is right now. I knew that. I didn't know that we would be the ones to pull it off. I knew that this needed to exist and I was moved. Like I saw it and I was just like, moved is the only way I can describe it. I was moved to like, and my co-founders were moved to make it a reality. How did you get to the point from that launch, those early days, and I'm sure through tons of other ups and downs, how did you get to a point or when was the point where you thought to yourself, wow, like this is legit. We really created a great business here. So in some ways, I still don't believe that yet. I just look at it like we're so early. There's 5 million people in the world that could be on this thing. And we have 50,000, right? So I look at it, it's like so small, you know, only 15% of the country's heard a cameo before. Like, I, I just think there's like, so there's just so much to, room to grow. 
So from my perspective, the thing that I think the moment that I can really recall that just felt like validation at the time was when we closed our series A. And I just remember we're probably like two years into the business at that point. And I just remember like we closed it and we had a little Lightspeed who led the round, like sent us some beer and pizza and everybody left. And I just remember like it went under my desk and like I started crying and I'm not a crier, but like just like the heart and soul and like I hadn't paid myself. And it just it just felt like when we when that thing was like 12 million bucks we raised, like when that hit the bank account, it just kind of felt like, wow, this is something this is a real company now. And, and not that we weren't doing things the right way. We, we, we acted like a billion dollar business when we were zero in revenue. We always did things by the book. Like we, you know, we've built a great culture. We've treated people right. And we've laid out our expectations of like how we expect people to work. And we've been tough. We've been fair, but it was that moment where like, I remember just crying under my desk the lights off that I was like, all right, like this is, this is something I knew at that moment, my life had changed. And, and the thing that's kind of interesting now being an investor, finding that at the series A point is, it's kind of interesting. Like I don't feel you know, like I invest in a ton of series A's and like that shouldn't feel like the make or break it point, but just for some reason it did for us, we were in Chicago, like top tier Valley firms didn't invest often like Lightspeed hadn't invested in Chicago since Grubhub's like series A, you know, so it was just such a, but it put us on another pedestal within Chicago because we were having a you know top tier Valley firm backing us. And, you know, they had just done Snapchat was like their, you know, home run. And, you know, like the same people that saw Snap as the first investor, like thought that, you know, this could be Instagram, like Snapchat, but bigger than Instagram couldn't copy. Like that's what they that's what they felt at that point. They, they really felt that this was a business that could change the world. And I think like Jeremy and Nicole's belief at the series A, that was the moment for me that really gave it a lot of confidence. Yeah. It's so awesome that you stayed true to your guns and stayed in Chicago and the people who say you can't do it here, they're especially in today's world. It's so absurd, right? But I love the fact that you did it and you created it where you wanted to in the place you grew up and still have had this incredible success. And, you know, I want to ask you just in terms of, you had mentioned, you just spoke to, I guess, your uh, high school or former, former high school. You love the mentoring. If you were, if it was 10 years ago right now, and, and you were thinking about starting a business or going out? Is there any advice you would give to someone who's thinking about doing or creating a business right now? I mean, there's, we could do a whole episode <laughs> on that. I'll tell you one thing that's like pretty counterintuitive. So many people always say like, don't go work with your friends. And like, look, there's been some painful ones. Like I've had to fire my brother and my best friend from this business. But like my core, core, core people, Devin, my co-founder, like Martin, my co-founder, Arthur, our now president, Adam, who is my chief of staff and is just kind of like our like do everything person, right? These people like were some of my best friends coming in and being able to build this with them is so gratifying. And, um, you know, and it's tough because a lot of times when you, when you do start a business with your friends, then 
as you get bigger, the natural thing from the onlookers is like, well, you know, now we need to get a real management team or now we have to go do this. But like, I was just so fortunate that these guys were like, they were the best in the world at what they did. And just like, I had never been a CEO before. Arthur had never led a sales org before. Like, and Devin had never been a CTO and, you know, Adam had never, you know, helped build culture and do HR and all that stuff. Like collectively, this group of people just like really kicked ass, right? And if you can work with your friends and it works, like it's just so awesome. There's nothing better. And and as you've expressed that, I've had situations very similar throughout my career. And I think it's, you know, you have to understand and know who the friend is and if you really can coexist and work together. And, And there's friends I always knew there'd never be an issue. And then I messed up and sometimes had friends and I, I always placed my friendships first and, and it sounds like you had a, a situation, you know, with your brother as well. It's so hard to do, but, but when you know that you can do it with those people are good friends, like what's better, what's better than that? Like doing yeah, and, it. And look, it's like, what's better. And then on the same time, right? Like the painful nature of it, not working out what's worse than, you know, my brother not being here today. Right. What's worse, you know, like, those are the things that are really, those are the scars that you get, but you have to have conviction that that was the right thing for the business, right? Because if, if one person is, you know, is, is not moving on the same, you know, pulling on the same rope as everybody else, right. Especially if that person is your best friend or is your brother or is, you know, someone that, you know, went to your school or played sports with you or anything like that. Then there's just different standards for like yeah. how people can behave and how people work. And then that becomes corrosive to the culture. Totally. So I just, you know, I've been so fortunate and, and look, even those that haven't made it the whole way on the journey, like I'm grateful for the contributions they made because we couldn't have done this without each and every person that's ever worn the black cameo shirt. Yeah, no, I, I agree so much. Before I let you go, I want to ask you, you know, we hear so much now, especially in the last year or two, NFTs and and how has that affected or changed your business? And you're wearing a shirt that's an NFT. Don't, you know, I'm sure they'll see the clips on LinkedIn and everything, but tell me how has that changed kind of your mindset or or the business of Cameo, if it has at all? This whole world is is absolutely incredible. And there's a metaphor that I like to use that I I shared with my team at all hands and I've shared with my executive team to help them understand like how big of an opportunity this is. And I like to imagine it's 1493 again and Columbus has just returned to to Spain and he's up with Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand. And he's basically like, Hey, I just came from over there. There's like a whole world over there where there's gold flowing out of the rivers and like there's more bountiful crops than you've ever seen. We need to build boats and get back over there now. And everybody's building boats. And then the King of France, the King of Portugal, King of Spain, King of England, everybody's building boats, Netherlands, everybody's building boats. And the truth is most of the boats that are going to go across the ocean aren't going to make it. Somebody's going to hit an iceberg. You know, there's going to be a mutiny in the crew. People are going to die of scurvy. Like there's so much shit that's going to happen. And then even those that make it, they might be early, but they might land in the island of Hispaniola and get wiped out by an earthquake or a hurricane. And guess what? Somebody else is about to like roll up on Manhattan and pull a bunch of beads out of their pocket and like have the best real estate transaction <laughs> of all time. 
and that's what's so exciting about this world. And when you look at a macro level, Mark Zuckerberg taking a trillion dollar pit company and pivoting it, renaming it, and putting its its all in on the metaverse and Web3. You look at Jack Dorsey leaving Twitter, renaming Square to Block, blockchain all in. Mark Benioff naming a, a co-CEO so he can go and do this. Mark Pincus building like a new metaverse, right? Like all the best minds are like thinking about this. And our business has been emerging and has been crushing it. But the big moment for me was December of 2020. Cameo had like the A plus year, fairy tale year that you could have during COVID. Like everything just worked. It kind of felt like playing Mario Kart and hitting the star and just having the star go for the whole year. Like that's what it felt like from March till just December of 2020. And I remember NBA Top Shot. We did 100 million in GMV that year, up from 20 the year before. It was crazy. And then NBA Top Shot launched that December and did $100 million in like a week. And I just started thinking like, holy crap, like this could be really big. And I was watching from the sidelines. In fact, one of our, one of our employees like this time a year ago is now Dylan Rosenblatt, the CEO of a company called Autograph that co-founded with his dad, Rich, who's on our board and, and uh, Tom Brady. And that company has just been a revelation and they're, you know, they're crushing it. So I just was watching this. And, and I just knew I'm like, there's gotta be something big here for us, but like, we need to be authentic. And I think we have utility. So what we've decided to do was to create Cameo Pass, which is launching today, which is really exciting, 7 p.m. Eastern today. And it's mixing art and utility and community. And, um, and it's going to be the all access pass to anything that we do. And in the same way that we've spent the last 18 to 20 months building these like virtual experiences for people, FaceTiming with celebrities or doing Zoom call like things with celebrities or or core video. Cameo Pass is going to give us the opportunity to take the digital and move it into real life as well. So I'm just super excited by that. The team that we have is awesome. You know, we have this kid, Oliver Maroney, that was early on Top Shot and loved it and been tweeting about NFTs and when we decided to create this project, I turned it over to him and my co-founder, Devin, left the core business to go run the NFT project. And Ben Eisner, one of our original interns that's been with us for years as an engineer, like Ross and Sam, we put this crack team together, Jim and Thalia. And like, it's just been amazing how they've executed on it. And to me, I just think that this is the very beginning. And you know, I mentioned earlier, like we want to be talent CTO. And last year, too many people... We're coming up to us in the talent side. Hey, what are we going to do about NFTs? We didn't have an answer. So now that we have, you know, again, knock on wood that the launch goes well. Now that we have established ourselves as a legitimate player in this space, we can start serving our constituency, our talent, our fans, and have great bespoke solutions made for them. And also start like onboarding more people into this world, right? I aped in, I went down the rabbit hole uh, about uh, about six weeks ago. Like my life is completely different from like getting the board ape and everything. It's my Twitter followings doubled. Like I'm GN, GN, you know, GM, GN every single night. Like my feed has moved from one about sports and tech to like just NFT DGENs and crypto. Bro. Like it's just, it's just a wild world, but I love it. I'm having a blast. And I think it's going to be a really, really big space. Yeah, well, I am sure you guys are going to hit it and hitting on it already. And even if the launch doesn't go well, 
doesn't mean that uh, you're not going to do well when you tell me about your original launch, right? Hey, so. <laughs> at, least, at least at least we got the t-shirt, right? Hey, you got a t-shirt, man. Steven, thank you so much for coming on. That has been, that was fun. And hopefully we'll be uh, seeing a lot of great, better things out of Cameo. No surprise, you're doing so well. And uh, best of luck to you. Thanks, Robert. Appreciate it. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.